Hi everyone, it's Beth. Welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Although today's episode is from a son without a mom. Raymond's sister Danielle shared in episode 12. Raymond reached out and said that he would like to share his story as well. I asked Raymond to share about his thoughts on how our culture expects men to grieve. Please remember to leave a rating and review. And now, Raymond's story. So Raymond is my first son without a mom, and I'm really thankful that he's decided to share his story. Um, In addition to it being a day of vulnerability with him sharing his story today, it also happens to be the eight-year anniversary of the death of his mom, Teresa, and the day of his younger sister, Rebecca's graduation later today at 4 p.m. It's morning time when we're recording this now. So, wow, Raymond, thanks for showing up on such a big day that you have today. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Well, <laughs> um, so I'm going to turn it over to Raymond and let him introduce himself and tell us about his story. And then we will finish up at the end with some questions and some final thoughts and a tip to share from Raymond. So handed it over to you and thanks again for being here. All right. Thank you so much for allowing me to be here. Um, I also want to say thank you to all the daughters without moms that have shared on here and the opportunity to do this as a son is very amazing. So I just want to say thanks to everybody out there. Um, uh, yeah, like she said, my name's Raymond. Um, I'm 26 years old. Um, I'm married. I have a stepson who's nine. Um, I currently live in Georgia. I'm a assistant operator at a fast food restaurant. I have a bachelor's degree in economics, and I'm trying to get a job uh, somewhere in Florida that involves sports analytics. It has been quite the journey, but I guess I'll start talking about how all that happened and uh, what happened after. A week before my senior year in high school started, uh, me and my brother Juan, who's not my blood brother, but (laughs) all the same to us, we were playing Call of Duty in my bedroom, probably about, I want to say two or three in the morning. And I heard these yells coming from the living room. My mom had been out there watching TV last I knew. I heard these yells, but it didn't sound like my mom. It sounded like my little sister. It sounded like a child was uh, yelling. So like, I got up really quick. I ran out there and my mom was sitting on the floor and uh, she couldn't get up. So naturally, the first thing I did, I found her there. At least within 10, 15 seconds, I was running to my dad's room to wake him up. Um, he has a lot of experience with sick people. He's a pastor or was. So he kind of, I think he kind of got what was going on. He got up there and me and him uh, picked my mom up and sat her down in a chair. Uh, he called an ambulance and then they came and picked her up. Um, they said it looked like a stroke from the beginning, which it was. They picked her up probably between three and four. And then they took her to uh, a city called Albany, Georgia, about 45 minutes away from our house. Um, I don't remember as much about that night as I do for her second stroke. But uh, I remember as soon as I realized what was happening, that she might die. My entire personality did a 360. Well, not a 360, a 180. The maturity that I didn't have as like an adult, because I was... I was just about to turn 18, but that maturity that I didn't have was all of a sudden there. I don't, I don't know how to explain, but like they say life can happen in the blink of an eye and everything can change. It really does. From that moment, I feel like a grown man. 
I remember that same night, I want to say I, I had to wake up my little brother, my little sister. My dad had already driven to uh, Albany. Um, I woke them up. I think we called my older sister and I waited for her to get to our house from another place an hour away, which is where I live now in Valdosta. And then we drove up there. Like I said, I don't remember many details about that night specifically. I just remember getting to the hospital. She was okay, but we spent, I think, a week in the hospital up there. And then um, they told her she had a stroke. She had lost like pretty much the left side of her body. And then they transferred her into a different like hospital therapy place. Um, she was there for about a month. So that happened. And then the next week I started high school. I mean, my senior year. So it was crazy. Actually, I'm pretty sure I missed the first few days of high school of my senior year. I don't remember. I think I remember the most about that month that she was at the therapy was me taking my siblings to go visit her. When my dad was busy, we go visit like probably almost every day, at least three times a week. One of the weirdest things I remember about my mom being in that therapy center was the time I went by myself, which was only once. <laughs> uh, only once I went by myself and it was really awkward uh me and my mother she loved me and i feel like she's probably the only person at the time that really got me and understand what i was going through but i was so stubborn and such an angry kid that if she wanted to try to help me that was a no-go i had no interest in being helped no interest in sharing my feelings none of that uh i was very quiet very introverted she just wanted to help me i think and then my whole senior year you know like i said i had flip my entire personality around my mom came home after months of being in the therapy and uh, things at home i would say were definitely way different like i said my dad was a pastor my mom never went to church though after she had her stroke she basically sat in her chair or on the couch that was where she was always all the time <laughs> i wouldn't say at first i didn't really notice her personality was kind of different with the way she talked but uh so I never talked to my mom much, not especially not about my own life. Um, so to me, not much had seemed to change. She was still asking how my day was, still telling me she loved me, stuff like that, still checking on me. Uh, I know that entire year I'd go out with my friends and we wouldn't do anything bad. We just stayed out late and I wouldn't show up until 4.30 in the morning. And she'd be texting me, seeing where I was, trying to call me. You know, my dad didn't care. That whole year, it was more, it was nine months. Um, my friends would come over and nobody would talk about it. My mom, we would keep my mom. My mom was in the living room and we were in the family room playing ping pong and pool. And it's like my friends knew something was wrong with her, but they never once asked. And nobody went that way. <laughs> nobody went out there to where my mom was. She was just out there and they knew that. Um, I guess they knew. I just, I didn't want to talk about it. Like I said, I was uh, pretty hard emotionally um, to not share anything, not have a moment of weakness. Because um, to me, uh, because I was so stubborn, you know, I was picked on, I became emotionally just calloused. And for me to show emotion was, you know, a weakness at the time. Uh, we went through that year. Um, the one thing I did change is I started telling my mom I loved her more. Uh, realizing that you could lose somebody at any second, you know, for like, like if she died and she told me I loved her and I didn't say it back, you know, that that's another thing that would just eat away at you forever. 
Um, I know I shouldn't have, but I got her Cokes and stuff that wasn't good for her. <laughs> Every time I'd go out to get food, all she would ask me for, just bring me a Coke, bring me a Coke. So I did all that. Um, so I got through my senior year. Um, it was ironically, socially, it was probably my best year as a teenager. Um, I don't know if it's that fact of you're an adult now, technically walk out of here anytime you wanted. <laughs> Wouldn't be a very wise choice, but I could. I was at a peak physically, I think, in cross country. I was working out a lot. So that was definitely a way to, uh, you know, process your feelings, working out, exercise and stuff like that. Um, I had my group of friends that I finally had a concrete group of friends that I hung out with. So I had a decent year socially, you know, that like I learned how to stand up for myself. I graduated. Um, my mom, my mom went with us to my, uh, honor ceremony she was there i have pictures of that uh that was about a week after before my graduation i think i remember eating at pizza hut with her you know and i don't know what it was but in public like my mom was in a wheelchair she was super skinny everything was droopy but i wasn't embarrassed i wasn't ashamed this is my mom like i dare you to say something about it i dare you <laughs> but then all of our family came in town for my graduation a uh, family we haven't seen in years at the time uh, my dad's mom was in town, my mom's mom, obviously, um, all of their family, all of my dad's family. Uh, it's one of those moments that is really weird about the situation is that everybody that we cared about that could be there for you, that, you know, usually can't get there very quickly after something tragic happens. They were already in this small Georgia town, you know, at their hotels when my mom had her second stroke. So the coolest thing... I'm not cool, but I say, well, yeah, the coolest thing about my graduation was my mom came and it was one of the first times that she stood up. So we have pictures on my Facebook of my mom standing up uh, with me, you know, congratulating me. It was a huge moment because I think for a while we weren't even sure if we were going to take her to the graduation. So that was an emotional moment. Like I said, I wasn't, I wasn't embarrassed. I don't know if people would usually get embarrassed of that kind of thing. I was very proud to have my mom there. You know, um, I had realized by that point that she was a big part of who I was as a person inside. Um, Cause I don't think I, I've never really felt like a bad person. I've always felt like I have to put on this uh, facade of being a bad person just to survive high school, survive middle school, survive home, you know, uh, it's tough. Survive being a man is uh, that's the most difficult part is just survival <laughs> um, emotionally. All that shut down. I, I had none of that anymore. My pride was out the window in this one moment when my mom was at my graduation. So we did the graduation day. I walked. My mom stood up, took the pictures with me. That was all a great day. We went home. I had my graduation party. We played volleyball. Perfect day. One of the best days of my life, I'll be honest. Um, and then the next day, we went to church uh, Sunday, uh, the day after my graduation. We went to church. Everything was normal. We went through the day normal. And then early Monday morning, or if you want to call it late Sunday night, my mom, uh, I didn't think it was a stroke at the time. This time, my dad had found her. And she was laying on the couch, and she, but she was foaming at the mouth. I don't, I don't know if that was the stroke. Um, it's my understanding that the second stroke happened at the hospital, not at our house. 
Uh, but she was foaming at the mouth and I was terrified. That was, uh, if I close my eyes and think of my mom, like that's probably the picture that comes to mind is my mom laying on her side and foaming at the mouth and her mom was standing there and my dad was there and I'm like, crap, <laughs> it's happening all over again. I was like, just when you think things might go back to normal and, you know, you could have a, a happier life and she could see you grow up, see her other kids grow up and graduate. But there's also a part of me when that happened, I was like, okay, it's happening again. Let's just go to the hospital, see what's wrong and uh, we'll be fine. We'll be back in a week, whatever. Those, those nights are kind of hazy detail wise. I drove there myself this time with my siblings. I had woken them up. This time it was basically just me. First time I had my older sister basically taking care of everything. But this time it was me by myself with my siblings without her there. So I had to step up and be the oldest. Uh, I remember we got to the hospital in the ER and my mom was talking. So by then you're like, there's no way she's going to, she's about to die. There's no way she's having a second stroke and it's going to kill her. Uh, she asked to see me and she was writing on a piece of paper. You saved me. I was like, mom, I didn't save you. And I was like, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> why are you throwing this all on me? I was like, you just get your rest. It's going to be all right. I was like, she just kept saying over and over, you saved me. You saved me. And that was the last thing she ever said to me. I don't think I told her I loved her either when I left the room because I didn't think she was dying. I thought she just had an episode. Later that day, she had gotten transferred to a room. That's when we found out. Um, I don't know if the doctors knew something we didn't at the time, which is why I have an understanding that the second stroke happened at the hospital. I was in the, in the waiting room and my older sister still hadn't gotten there. I think uh, she was having trouble getting a ride that day or something. My dad, my dad was gone like the entire day. Like he was at the hospital, but I never saw him. He was with my mom. I think, I think they would only let him in. And then he grabbed me. I was playing a game on my phone, with my little sister he grabbed me, pulled me to the side, took me like in a different room and said, uh, your mom had a second stroke and uh, she's going to die. Um, I thought I was the first person to find out. I don't know if I was. The hardest part about that moment was going back out there with my little sister and pretending like everything was OK. Uh, I just found out that her mother was dying and, you know, there's nothing we could do about it. The first person I talked to about it because um, I didn't cry in front of my dad. I really don't think I ever have, um, but I knew he was breaking down. So I didn't want to be weak in front of him. He shouldn't have to take care of me when he's losing his wife. Um, I mean, the first person I talked to after that was my aunt, my mom's sister. And I called her and then uh, she asked me what was going on. And I basically I broke down. Um, I was in a bathroom crying to her because I couldn't, I couldn't face, I couldn't do that in front of my little sister. Like, I don't know who told Becca, but I know it wasn't me. <laughs> I remember talking to my aunt, telling her that, uh, mom's going to die. And I was crying. Um, then I went back out there. I, I toughened up, became that callous, emotional person again. I went back to playing games on my phone, with my little sister. I don't know why I couldn't bring myself to go see her. I know when my sister did the podcast, they talked about the idea that they could possibly still hear you, even though they can't respond to you. I just, I couldn't. It's like talking, talking to my mom, going to visit her wasn't something I could do. Not especially after she told me, you saved me. I'm like, 
I'm one of those people that kind of believes in fate and like destiny and everything's meant to happen this specific way. So after my mom told me that, I'm like, what does this mean? This has to mean something. This is too ironic. Like I always told myself, my mom, my mom had a first stroke a week before I began my senior year of high school. And then she died a week after I graduated high school. It was crazy. But yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to go visit her. If I did, it was only with like my dad or my older sister there. I know they spent the most time in the room with my mom out of anybody. Um, I spent most of my time with my little sister. I was with her the entire time. Um, I have one of the other things that beats me up, eats me up inside is I have no idea what my brother was thinking. Um, I never checked on him. I was 18. I think he was either 14 or 15 at the time. I never once asked him how he was doing. Never checked on him. I don't know. I don't know if it was because we were boys and we just, I don't know if he was trying to do the same thing I was doing, which was becoming calloused. That whole week we spent a couple days in the hospital. I think I want to say maybe three. One thing good about church is uh, a lot of people take care of you. So me and my siblings, we basically had a room to ourselves and we could escape all these people coming to visit so many people. Like it was overwhelming. Those are all my immediate family. Then so many people of the church, people I've people I've never seen before. I have no idea who they are. Uh, my dad was big in the community. I said he was a pastor. He was very I'm not a huge Christian anymore, but just to have all those people that barely know you. They come, they pay. I, I don't know if people like that pay for that room, but I just know I don't think we had the money for it. In my eyes, I was going to let the adults take care of that. I'm going to be this kid right here, and I'm going to be with my little sister. That was it the whole time. That's all I cared about, nothing else. I hadn't cried since that first time I talked to my aunt, not once, not even at home, none of it. I don't think crying necessarily has to be there to be sad like a sad movie why aren't you crying you should be crying at this like I, it's sad I feel for it but I'm just not gonna cry I don't know what you want from me I guess the main doctor brought everybody in a room around like a conference table we all sat down and we talked about our options um obviously we could keep my mom alive but it wouldn't be the same she would never regain any of that function again she would just be like a body going up and down for the rest of her life he's like it's official we're gonna let her die um, she got transferred to hospice, um, a very beautiful place. I've gained like a huge appreciation for people that are in that kind of business. I don't think it's something you can just apply to as a normal person. You have to be uh, meant to do something like that. It was a beautiful place. It had a running trail. I was a runner cross country. My little sister, you know, wanted to follow my footsteps in that area. So we would do our runs, our walk through the trail. Like everything was beautiful. They had a piano that my, both of my sisters would play on. Um, so basically these last, I want to say three days of my mom's life were spent at this hospice place in Albany. But we basically spent those three days just hanging out with mom, uh, family coming to visit, everybody basically saying their goodbyes, things like that. And then I think on a Saturday, yeah, like a Saturday, a Exactly a week after I walked, a week after she stood up, uh, they told us it was time. I remember every detail of that day. I wrote, I wrote a rap about it. <laughs> my shirt was blue. My shorts were white. <laughs> and all of us were there by your bedside, uh, something like that. I know that's how it started. But 
Uh, I had my backwards Boston hat on. I remember all of that. Um, like it's one of those days that's just ingrained in me. I mean, I couldn't go into that much detail about what I was wearing yesterday. Like, <laughs> uh, then, so basically they said it was time. They, uh, I don't know if it's, they unplugged the machine or exactly how that works, but they took her off her breathing equipment and, uh, we all sat there. There's probably maybe 15, 20 of us. I don't know. I know all my Hispanic brothers were there. My mom's uh, sister, her mom, my uncle, my cousins, basically everybody like that was there. I don't remember the details about who was there. I remember exactly what happened when my mom stopped breathing. First thing that happened was my older sister cried into my arms. Um, I was crying, but not heavily. Um, and then she cried in my arms for a minute. And then I, re I, I remember is my older sister. My little sister wasn't in the room. She was with the church family. Uh, and then my uncle hugged my older sister. And then that's all I remember in that room. And then I walked out of the room. I remember probably one of the hardest moments was my dad saying, I, he was just tearing up. He said, I got to get out of here. Um, and at the time, I was like, uh, I was like, what about Becca? <laughs> it's like, I was like, your little daughter's here. And you're running away. You know, his wife just died. So I get it. By the same time, at that moment, I had to stop crying. Became that callous kid again. And I took my sister. We walked on that trail outside. And uh, I don't know what it was about the air that day, but it's like you could feel like, I don't know if it is, but I felt like I could feel my mom's soul like going up. Like there's something about the air outside mm -hmm. that just felt like that's what was happening. Like the air knew what was going on. The air knew it just happened. And, like her soul was being lifted up. Um, so that was mm -hmm. a surreal moment. Um, that's a positive moment for me. I don't see that as negative having that feeling like mm -hmm. peace, like, like it was like, she had just died, but it was peaceful. Like, um, you don't think, you don't think that when you lose somebody that you're going to get that much time to prepare, you don't think you're going to have that much support. You don't expect that. So that's one of the things I've always appreciated about everything that happened. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the story of how my mom died. Um, like I said, uh, I went to college after that. Uh, I went to live with my older sister for uh, about a year. I think it was more like nine months before she left for Florida. Um, my grieving process, uh, I don't think I really grieved much. Um, I had gotten into writing music uh, shortly before my mom died. I remember one of the nights, the first night my mom was in the hospital the second time, I came home and I wrote an entire song. <laughs> it wasn't very good, but it was an entire song and it just came out of me like, like I wasn't even having, I didn't have to think about the words I was writing, I just wrote them, you know. Um, wow. So that was a, I think that was when I realized I wanted to start writing. Um, I think I used writing as like a journal. Um. So that that was probably my outlet. 
I don't know if that was me grieving or if it was just an outlet of emotions. I don't feel like I really grieved until at least three years after my mom died. Um, like even after my mom died in my head, everything was still about my little sister. Um, I went to college. I started college in the uh, criminal justice major. Um, I surely figured out that wasn't for me. Uh, like I said, I think that's another thing you have to be made to do. I don't think I was made to do that kind of thing. Um, but I spent most of my time emotionally callous. Like I said, I didn't eat much. I lost a lot of weight, stopped working out, stopped exercising. After mom died, I started drinking. Um, like I said, I was doing anything to stay numb and not process my feelings. Um, I got a job almost as soon as uh, school started uh, as a delivery driver at Domino's. Uh, I worked as much as they would let me. Um, so I don't know if that was because I didn't want to process my emotions. I just wanted to be tired all the time because um, I had full-time school, full-time work. Uh, I started drinking, started smoking. Um, but that first year after my mom died, like I said, it was, I spent most of my time going back to my dad's house from uh, where I was staying. I didn't talk about it much. We would just basically hang out and we were very close knit, me and my dad, my sister. Uh, like I said my brother was there. I still have no idea to this day what he felt at that time. I wasn't grieving. Like it was a pretty quick year. Uh, after my second semester, I started failing classes, not showing up. Like I said, I started smoking and drinking and uh, that does not motivate success at all or inspire, not to me anyways. <laughs> I remember you know, like I couldn't, I couldn't stay like staying in Valdosta in my room. Like I couldn't stay there. My sister was gone a lot too. Uh, it was her senior year at college. Uh, I didn't have friends in Valdosta. All my friends were back home. So even to my detriment, no matter like how tired I was, I would, I'd get off at work at 2.30 in the morning at Domino's because they closed late and I would drive to my dad's house. I had biology class my second semester and it was early in the morning, like 8 a.m. I had, I'd have a test. I still go to my dad's house. I wouldn't sleep. I didn't go to bed. And then I would, you know, drink a Mountain Dew and go take the test. I failed every test, <laughs> but I was getting really having to write music. Um, I think one of the first things I did maybe that first year was I wrote a song to my mom. I actually recorded that one and I posted it on SoundCloud. It was basically like a letter. I wrote that. I did all that in just like one awful, unorganized take. But my emotions were so heavy after writing that like I had a writing became my uh, my outlet. I write about everything. Uh, probably why I don't share much of my writings because it's so personal. That would uh, I think I, I don't think so anymore. But back then I thought vulnerability was a weakness and couldn't be used as a strength. Every year after my mom's died, it's always, okay, it's been everything that I do in my life. It always dates back to how long it's been since my mom died. Like I got married uh, six years after she died. You know, I graduated seven years after she died. Everything goes back to my mom's death. Uh, the biggest thing that helped me move on to start grieving was I had a girlfriend at the time. She noticed I had anxiety. I didn't know what anxiety was. I didn't know that. I, I knew what it was. I didn't know I had it. Mm. Um, I was having panic attacks, uh, crazy thinking. I couldn't focus. I was worrying all the time. Anybody that has bad anxiety can tell you they'll play out a scenario that's not even a possible a hundred different ways in your head. 
and that stuff was just driving me crazy. Uh, I think it was two years after I went to counseling and I got an anxiety medication. And I remember the first day I got my anxiety medication on the drive home, I just started crying because uh, in my eyes, it was all about to be over. I was finally about to feel some sort of sanity in my mind. I didn't do much grieving those first few years. Um, hadn't even looked into it. I hadn't tried. I had my mom's laptop. When I went to college, I got her laptop. I had that for college. And she had all these videos of her on there videotaping us, uh, my little sister, my siblings. Um, just so much from my mom was on there. And I like, I cherish those moments sometimes. If I did cry, it's because I was on my laptop watching those videos my mom had on there. Uh, there was one where my little sister was playing on a, a playground and she was just talking about how she wanted to be like me <laughs> when she oh. grew up. <laughs> Unfortunately, my house was broken into and that laptop was stolen. I'm still angry to this day. Uh, there's something I just can't forgive about that situation. They took a piece from me. They took my only my only way of seeing my mom. Um, at that point, I would have given them a thousand dollars to you know, to not steal that. <laughs> they left my Xbox, they left my TV, they, they left so many things, but they took that, like, why that thing? So I remember the first time, the first time I finally, like, broke down, broke down, I had a screaming panic attack uh, from watching, like, a, a high school movie or something. Um, I don't know if that, something in there triggered it, and I started sweating, hyperventilating, and then like I just went into this crazy state and I just kept yelling for my mom over and over and over again. And I remember I thought I was going crazy. Um, I was embarrassed. My two two of my roommates were there, also my friends, and uh they ended up calling my older sister and uh she she got me out of it. Um she was a big part of me being able to be strong as an adult. I would say at that point is when my grieving began is when I had that panic attack. After mm -hmm. that, uh, my anxiety, like, I don't know if it was adjusting to the medicine or if everything was just now coming out or maybe I felt like my little sister was mature enough to handle her own emotions and I could mm -hmm. subconsciously release mine. In my, in my mind, I feel like I have a good heart. I've just never been able to show it. I think the weirdest thing to me about counseling is I did not want to talk to a man. Um, ah, yeah, I wanted, I, re, I mean, the first time I did counseling, so I had two different counselors. The first one was a woman and that was just by chance. I didn't know what counseling was going to be like. I didn't know how it worked. Um, they just told me I had to go to counseling if I wanted to stay on my anxiety medication. So I was going there. Um, I was talking about my mom, my whole story. And then, uh, my counselor graduated and uh, when they gave me a new one, they asked me if I had any preferences and I asked them for a woman. Um, I wasn't comfortable sharing my emotions or feelings with a man. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just the way I grew up or that callousness I had. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I truly started to process things. Um, I was very, I've always been very open with uh, my counselors. Um, I don't hide anything. One thing I would say, like, if you lie about yourself to your counselors, they can't actually help you. <laughs> well, I mean, I know one of the things that I wanted to ask you that we talked about a little bit before we um, started recording, since you're my first son without a mom, that I really was interested in your thoughts on how our culture either helps or hinders the grieving process for men. 
um, growing up with uh, like my dad, my situation, it was always, uh, I wouldn't say a boys don't cry kind of thing, but it was definitely girls were supposed to be more emotional. Guys are supposed to take care of the house. Guys are supposed to take care of the bills, take care of the family, take care of everything else. I never got to get braces or anything because I was a boy. That was my dad's specific reason for me not getting those braces. Um, there's definitely uh, you got to be a tough guy scenario, uh, mm-hmm. especially in school. Um, I'm a very uh, sensitive person. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have my writing, stuff like that. I like to listen to people's stories. I like to talk to people. I don't like to be a tough guy or pretend to be. I tried to in high school. It wasn't my thing. But there's just that pressure. Guys don't cry, especially if the oldest, you don't, you have to be tough for everybody else. Um, I had it in my mind that I had to be strong so others could be weak and there's nobody to be strong for me. If I did start grieving, I would feel selfish for doing that. Like it wasn't my place to have emotions. That was for other people. Songs you listen to, it's all about the guys, the tough one, the guys, the one that keeps it together. So the family stays strong, you know. So that could play a huge part in why it took me so long to grieve. Um, I think ever sometimes when I see other people with their moms, I'm like, uh, I wish I had that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the main thing about the grieving, the main lesson I learned is uh, don't let anybody tell you when you're supposed to grieve. Um, I did with that same counseling center at the college I was going to. Um they offered me to do a class, a grieving class, basically. And we went through a book together. And I think that's probably what helped me the most. Um, you wouldn't think it would, but just going through that, like, I mean, doctors wrote those books. People have studied that for years. But me and one other student, we the only people that signed up. We did our grieving process together. And it was probably one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it helped me release everything. Um, at the end, so you do like timelines of things you think you did wrong to the person that you're trying to grieve over. You timelines the things you think they did wrong. The whole process that I realized about grieving is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. The main, I think, one of the main words in grieving is forgiveness. You have to forgive yourself and forgive the person you lost, so you can move on. Mm-hmm. And there's no timeline for that. They put such a harsh timeline on grief and, you know, like uh, five, I don't know how many steps of grief there are. <laughs> but, six uh, stages now, right? The six yeah. stages. Uh, yeah. They act like that's supposed to happen back to back to back to back. You know, that's not, that's not the case. Um, I can tell from personal experience that if anybody takes anything away from this, like take your time with it. Don't rush yourself to feel emotions. Um, and I think it's okay if you don't feel anything at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you also said to me before we started recording, one thing that you learned about yourself that I want to make sure that, that you say to the people that are here, that you had, you really could only depend on yourself. When we have that mom sized hole, we're constantly looking for something to fix it, fill it, whether it's alcohol or drugs or shopping or sex or whatever people use to try yeah. to fill that hole. And I think it takes time. This is what I said to you before we started recording that some people never get to that point in their life where they realize, you know, the one person that's consistent in my life and that I can count on is me. And you yeah. with okay. that mom size hole, like you, you're going to have that mom size hole with you for the rest of your life. But it's realizing that it's a part of you and not trying to 
fill it with things that don't, you know, provide value to your life. Yeah. At some point you realize, um, people in your life aren't going to get you through this. You have to do it yourself. You have to process it. They can't process your emotions for you. Um, they can't feel for you. Uh, everybody's situation is extremely unique. One of the things I hated hearing most from people was them saying, I understand. (laughs) I didn't like that. Um, I get, there was good intentions. I didn't really get angry, but you can't understand. You're not me. Um, yes, you've lost a mom, but you didn't lose my mom. You weren't my age. Like my siblings, my dad, everybody involved. My mom's death has a completely different experience than what I did. Um, completely different process. Like, uh, there's some people that I feel still haven't grieved about my mom dying. There's people that I feel have grieved years ago and they're okay now. It's me and only me out there sometimes. And uh, if I'm going to be okay, I have to do it myself. Sometimes I feel like, especially when you have tragedy, it's like your soul and your mind aren't unified. Um, like your mind has one way of thinking and then your soul is the one that wants to move on, wants to get better, but your mind is a little damaged. I guess the metaphor would be your heart is damaged. And in order to do that, you basically have to come together and your soul and your mind have to be a unified um, source if you want to properly move on and be happy. Um, That's still one of the things I've been thinking about that a lot recently if I don't get to that place in my mind, then I'll, I'll never find that true happiness. Only um, you understand what your journey has been. Like you said, exactly. somebody else might've lost their mom, but they weren't you at that time at mm-hmm. that, you know, age of life. And with all the other things that you brought on with it, with your expectations of having to be the strong one and take care of the family. And yeah, yeah. nobody, nobody was ever in your exact shoes. So I guess what I was trying to get earlier counseling was my my grieving. Um, it did so much for me. I get, it might not do the same for everybody. The main, the main thing I took away as far as helping other people is at the beginning, um, of the grief therapy class at the beginning of every class, we would, she would say, remember, um, closed mouth, but an open heart or open ears, closed mouth. Like they're not always asking you for advice. They just want somebody to listen to their feelings, you know? Um, I think that's a huge part of the grieving process is having that outlet and being able to talk to somebody without them trying to help you. Writing that letter to my mom, forgiving her for the things I felt she could have been better in and forgiving myself for the bad things I did in regards to my mom um, was the probably the, uh, you know, the last step for me um, grieving wise. Well, Raymond, I just want to say thank you so much for um, being willing to share your story, especially on a day like today, that it's your mom's anniversary and Becca's graduation. Mm -hmm. Like you have a lot going on. Um, I hope that you're able to enjoy the rest of your day with, with the open heart that you, you talk about. And I just want to end this by saying to everyone, like it, I think all stories are important. That's why even though this is called the Daughters Without Moms, I'm a daughter without a dad. I'm a sister without a sister. And I know that every story is important, but sharing it can be difficult. And I'm really just thankful for the work that you've done um, personally to be able to talk about your grief and then to be able to share this with us so that perhaps, you know, somebody listening to it can resonate with you and say, wow, because it's all about, you know, we feel so alone and isolated. I want every man to be able to 
talk about themselves without having to be judged. I'm big on promotion of mental health now. Um, after going with what I went through, feeling like the anxiety made me feel like I was going crazy, you know, all of that. And all I needed was somebody to talk to this whole time. I didn't know because nobody tells you. <laughs> Amen, Raymond. If you'd like more information on my thoughts about the grief journey, please visit my website, yourgriefjourney.com. If you'd be interested in being interviewed for a podcast, please send me an email to daughterswithoutmoms at gmail.com.